What up, what up, what up? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael, and I was fortunate to catch up with Kevin Lytle of the Fort Collins Coloradoan. He recently had a piece on the top 25 commits of all time for CSU football. Really strong presence of the Norvell era on there, almost half, which is pretty crazy when you consider he's only coached one actual season at CSU. But we talked about what this staff is doing well, what stands out about their approach. We dove into some of the general takeaways from the list as a whole, including that you have to kind of take all of this with a grain of salt, definitely be stoked about what is happening, but there are plenty of examples of flops. Like anything, you want to appreciate what's happening, but you just don't want to get too high or carried away, especially before these guys have ever even played a down. Anyways, I don't want to spoil too much of the interview, but I really appreciate Kevin giving me some of his time in the summer. It's obviously a slower time of year, so you know I didn't really feel like coming on here and rambling by myself. Before we get into that interview, cool moment last night in the MLB All-Star Game. 32-year-old Rockies catcher Elias Diaz hits a two-run bomb to give the NL the win. He was named the All-Star MVP. And it was just kind of one of those moments where it reminded me how much I love baseball. Baseball was actually my first favorite sport. I have been a Rockies fan my entire life. My heart kind of went out of it once Nolan Arenado was traded for basically a washing machine a couple years ago. Just hard to emotionally invest or commit that much of my time to a team, to an ownership group that could genuinely care less if they're competitive or not. Having said that, though, I still find myself tuning in every now and then. I rarely watch an entire game, but Drew Goodman has always been phenomenal to me. He has come on the pod. He's a hero of mine, so I I feel like I got to still support him. Jenny Kafnar as well, and even Ringlesby. He's not really on the broadcast anymore, but I have a lot of history with a lot of folks associated with that organization. So while I am bitter and pessimistic about the future, you know, I, I... do still love those people. And I love baseball at the end of the day. And this was one of those moments where it, it kind of felt like Moneyball. You know, how can you not be romantic about baseball? 32-year-old catcher in his first all-star appearance, I believe his first at bat as well, hits a dong, gives the NL their first win in a decade. That's what it's all about. And just the general competitiveness of the all-star game in baseball is the reason it's really the only all-star game worth watching, in my opinion. Basketball, the Pro Bowl, they've all become a joke. Hockey isn't even a real game anymore. But the Midsummer Classic, still epic, still great. I wish they'd go back to the old home run derby format. It's just too chaotic now, and you don't really have a, an opportunity to appreciate the length of which some of these balls are going. You don't get those Chris Berman back, 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 back moments because by the time... They're, they're finished with the swing. The pitcher's already, you know, wound up to throw another one. To me, it just feels like they tinkered with something that was perfect and it was unnecessary, but that's what sports do all the time. They get in their own way. Anyways, it just had me thinking, you know, maybe I am coming around to the idea of CSU having a, a baseball team some way, a D1 team. I know they have a club team that's quite good, but that's not the same. And while it's never really been something I've been that passionate about, frankly, I've all I've always really preferred college hockey and that's just because DU has that local presence and there is no local college baseball presence. I know they play at Greeley and CMU has a pretty good program. Metro and Air Force as well. I'm not saying there are no teams but just with CSU and CU neither program having D1 baseball it was not really a sport I ever got into. The metal bats were probably part of that as well. I've just 
I have a hard time embracing it. They're that big. They're that strong. Use wooden bats. I get that it's expensive, but you got plenty of money. Anyways, I just, with the Rockies being such a disaster and my heart not being in it, it would be fun to have a local D1 team to like go all in on. Not saying that that's in the cards anytime soon or that it's something that's realistic to wish for. It would just be cool. That's all I'm saying. All right, we're going to get to that interview with Kevin Lytle. But I do want to acknowledge the homies over at Saturday Neon. Saturday Neon was a company started by two friends, former college roommates. They make officially licensed collegiate logo LED neon signs. They're Denver-based. And guys, these signs, they're the shit. We've got a couple of them up at the DMVR bar. They really pop. They're made with the highest quality materials, and they're backed by a two-year warranty. They're shipped with everything you need to mount, power, and dim, so every sign is easy to install and operate. And again, they're officially licensed, so these are the real deal. CSU, CU, Arizona, Bama, Wisconsin, Auburn, so many schools. They're great for man caves, dorms, basements, you name it. Make a great gift. Go to SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR for 10% off your order today. Free shipping on orders over $200. Also, it's July. It's hot. There's no better time to pick up a 12-pack of Breck Palisade Peach than right now. Breck Brew has a beer for any occasion, but with this heat, you want something a little refreshing, and the Palisade Peach just does not disappoint. Guys, this beer is so good that I gave it to, let's be honest, my more traditional relatives, guys that, you know, typically drink more bland beers. Nothing wrong with that. I keep it simple at times as well, but they're they're really hesitant to embrace anything outside of like a traditional lager. So when I say my 83-year-old grandpa gives it the stamp of approval, that means something. He's stubborn. It really is that good. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. All right, joining me on the DMVR Rams podcast, we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin Lytle of the Fort Collins, Coloradoan. Looking good, enjoying the sunshine I've seen. Looks like you've, you've been on some trips recently. Yeah, I was uh, down in good old Texas a couple for a couple weeks, catching some games down there, doing some exploring. It was unbelievably hot. And now you get rewarded by going to a 120-degree Las Vegas next week. <laughs> yeah, how about that? That's going to be... I'm not sure I'll leave the hotel. I probably won't either. <laughs> um, <laughs> you recently published a piece on the top 25 commits of all time, which I really enjoyed. I know CSU fans did as well. I wanted to get you on here and kind of just pick your brain, go over what stood out to you. I have a couple of notes from it as well. But I guess first things first, just putting this together, what kind of jumped out to you? Yeah, it's pretty interesting to go back through the list and you know kind of how how it's all come together. Obviously, it's kind of the you know I just call it the modern era of recruiting, which is basically like two thousand one on is when like twenty four seven has their uh, list dating back to. But yeah, the I don't know. I think the first thing that jumps out is how much Jay Norvell there is. On the top 25, I think there were 11 or 12, um, and he hasn't coached a game in his second season yet. So he has almost half the list already, which is pretty impressive. Uh, also jumped out to me the lack of Jim McElwain. I believe none or maybe one of them on the top 25 were Mac recruits, which, again, like I think we knew that he, you know, Maybe wasn't the best recruiter, was good at kind of diamonds in the rough. Obviously wasn't here very long, but that was surprising. And then, yeah, we've known this and talked about before, but Steve Fairchild recruited some dudes. Like he recruited a lot of good players. Um, it's, you know, you look at some of the names that played for him, and it's like, man, how did they not win? 
Um, but it is pretty fascinating. And then the offense defense split. I don't think it's a surprise, but man, 21 of the 25, I think were offensive players, which again, is not surprising for you know, what CSU has been lately, but it kind of explains why CSU has been what they've been lately. I'm glad you brought up the Fairchild thing because that's something I've talked about often over the years is McIlwain was a really creative play caller. He was the right guy at the right time to bring some energy into the program. But all of his success was with guys that Fairchild recruited, developed, brought in. And I just wonder how much of it had to do with the conference was kind of really good during the mid-2000s. Like before you lose Utah and TCU and some of those schools, BYU was still really strong. I, I just feel like there were less gimme wins back then. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Um, obviously, you know, Fairchild didn't put it all together. You know, probably, you know, in some ways you had some similar similarities to Bobo of certainly good football minds, but not necessarily great CEOs. Uh, but there were a lot of good players. And then it's kind of funny. I'm actually, I'm kind of working on a companion piece of sort of the opposite of the top 25. So your unheralded guys who weren't ranked well, but then did very, very well. And again, there's a lot of Fairchild guys in that list. You know, Weston Richburg is the most famous. He was, you know, a two-star, you know, nothing recruit who became, you know, obviously awesome at CSU and then had a great NFL career as well. So um, it's kind of funny. Broadly, I think the biggest recruiting rankings matter in some ways, but individually, not that much. You know, I think depth ranking matters. Like, you know, if you're team ranking year after year is seventh in the Mountain West, you're not going to be good enough. Um, but if it's top three, you're going most likely you're getting enough good players to compete. So that's why it's kind of fun to look at these individual rankings and see like, oh yeah, like I forgot that guy, you know, on that top 25, there are a few names where I was like, oh, I totally forgot about them. You know, and how many, I think there were three different guys where I, you know, my kind of, you know, note on them was, didn't play at CSU, like never appeared in a game. Um, so it's just kind of fascinating how it goes. I think that's really important that you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Obviously, the recruiting rankings, it's not that they don't have some, I don't know, logic. Like they do matter to an extent. There are plenty of five stars that go on to be exactly that. They're who they're projected to be. But as you mentioned, I mean, four of the top 10 for instance, never did a thing. Like you got a couple of receivers in there. And I know Tyler Smith was a medical situation, but Nico Hall, defensive lineman, Isaiah Norton, Tony Drake, like those two never even played a game for the Rams. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's fun to be excited. Half of these guys are Norvell recruits. Three of the top five are Norvell guys. And, and assuming that, you know, Curry and Farrell and Dupree and all these guys sign, this is just going to keep improving. But I'm glad you hit on that note because while we while it is like something we should be excited about, they still kind of have to come and earn it before we like anoint them the saviors of the program. Yeah, totally. And, you know, even just look at last year. You know, Makai Fox was you know the there were the three freshman receivers. He was the one with the highest ranking. And it's not to say he's not going to become good. He's a, just a sophomore, like plenty of time. But obviously, of him, Lewis Brown and Justice Ross Simmons, Justice Ross, you know, early. Has, is off to the best start, even though Makai by far was the best ranked. Again, it, it just goes to show there's a lot of variability within these rankings. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of other factors, you know, life, you know, college fit, program fit, scheme fit, all these things that, you know, a, a ranking is kind of just about, you know, their potential and what these scouts see as far as body and all that. But, you know, 
you couldn't take, you know, you could have taken the best receiver in the world and put him on a Steve Adazi offense. He wouldn't have done much. Very good point. Uh, what stands out to you about this staff's recruiting approach compared to what we've seen the last couple of years? Because again, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, but it feels kind of similar to me when Nico Medved came in and you see him hit the ground running and they get obviously, you know, Thistlewood and more in that first class, but then Stevens and Roddy and all those guys. And it's kind of like the light bulb clicks. Oh, this is probably what it should have looked like the entire time. Yep. The thing that that really jumps out to me is they clearly have a very set plan of what and how they want to recruit. And like you say, use the basketball example. We know what Medved and staff are going to recruit. Lots of wing type players with positional versatility, guys that can play at least two, if not three or four positions. And then they also want a really good point guard. So that's what they recruit. Really good point guards and positional versatility. Football, obviously, it's much much different, but we're seeing one, the body types. I mean, Jade talked over and over about length um, and athleticism, and we're seeing that in every position. Every guy they get pretty much has, you know, they're on the taller end. A lot of them, especially your kind of lineman types, are actually, you know, quote unquote, undersized a little bit, but athletic, you know, kind of with room to grow. Um, and then they also seem, and part of it is, you know, the numbers you're allowed to sign now. Bobo was always chasing the fill holes. You know, he'd sign heavy on one area and then the next year be like, oh crap, you know, we don't have linebackers. So we need to sign a bunch of linebackers. Oh crap, we're thin on the O-line. Gotta sign a bunch of O-linemen. There's a pretty good spread. Again, you can do that a little bit more now without the cap on how many you can sign. So some of that's just, you know, the time. But they have a very defined method and you can and you can tell like um, there aren't guys that commit. They're like, hmm, I'm not sure how they fit in this system. It's very clear. Um, you know, each guy that when they commit, you kind of look at their profile, their tape. It's like, yep, yeah, I totally see where they could fit in a system if they develop properly. So they, you know, Jay has said that over and over. You know, we have to be true to the board. We can't reach. We can't stretch. And that's what they've done. Again, that doesn't mean all these guys will pan out but they have a method that they're chasing. I think that will also help when coaches leave. Cause obviously there's going to be staff turnover. Chad Savage's name, for instance, He's is all over commodity the place. For sure. you know, Fred, yeah. you know, Freddie Banks, we know is already a hot commodity, but when you have, you know, consistent structure on what you should be doing, it's easier to roll over because you also hire you know, replacements that will, that Jay, you know, He'll know they'll follow what they're doing. So it, it should help just cohesion, which CSU has not had cohesion in so long. Cause like I say, Bobo was the last, you know, long tenured, pseudo long tenured coach. And it was kind of just all over the map is sort of, you know, chasing your tail in some ways to fill holes. So um even staff-wise with Bobo, plan. like he was here for oh, a long too. time, yeah. but he was constantly replacing assistants. Yeah, I mean, how many, how many staff. DCs did they have? Yeah. I think five, if you count Ansley, who never actually came to campus. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it. everything Jay says, you know, publicly, too, like when he very clearly, even that first press conference laid out, like this is exactly what we're looking for. And since day one, that's what they followed. So you at least have the, the consistent messaging and, you know, what they're doing to, to fill that. I like that you hit on all of that. It feels very... Uh, NFL-esque with the way that they kind of operate things. I mean, 
we've talked at large about, you know, Bobo, Fairchild, these guys are good offensive minds, but they aren't CEOs. The one thing I can say of Jay Norvell, obviously they need to to get the wins and, and have it all translate, but it feels like he really nails it in that CEO role and just delegation and everything being very clearly defined and laid out and you just stick to it. Yeah, but I think that's where his background is so fascinating. Obviously, he has the time at Nevada of being a head coach and doing all that, um, which helps. But he also has all the time they spent in the NFL. And I think that's where some of what you're saying right there comes from is, you know, he looks at some of this roster building and how you run a program a little differently than maybe a college lifer would. Not in a, you know, necessarily a good or bad way either way, but just a little different perspective because he really has spent his, he's kind of split his coaching time on both sides uh, of the pro and college side. I think it just, I think you really see it with the way they emphasize traits. You know, some of these prospects are kind of raw. They're maybe being recruited to play different positions. Maybe they've been three sport athletes. They haven't even really like locked in on football, but his thing is just like very similar to what you see in the NFL draft. Like, yeah, he doesn't have the production at the high school level as this guy, but I can't, coach 6'4", 225, and runs a 4'4". Totally. So much of that. A lot of these guys, like you say, multi-sport athletes. And then in certain positions, I mean, we've we've had a lot of guys that, you know, they're listed as an athlete or maybe a, even a receiver, uh, but then they commit. And one way or another, we get, you know, word that uh, actually they're going to be, they plan them as a DB or guy that's a tight end that they plan as a defensive end. Um, a lot of that where they see players maybe a little differently than others do of like, Hey, like, yeah, they're a nice player right now, but that skill set, we're going to change that and put them in a little different spot and it's going to be good. I mean, this is a different example, but look at Tavis Tuioti. He was a deep lineman and in spring, he's a starting O lineman. We'll see what happens in Paul camp, but Jay kind of spoke over and over of like, Dude looks like he fits. Like that's where he belongs. Um, so there is uh the staff definitely does have looks at guys in maybe a little different light or you know, sees, you know, a way they can, you know, raise their ceiling even more of like, hey, this could be a good tight end or a great defensive end. It feels obvious too, but just getting back into California. I understand that the last staff had so many East Coast ties and you're trying to rely on these places that you've already established. But historically, when you look at CSU or CU, when they've been good, they're recruiting California, you recruit well in Texas, and then you have to have somewhat of a local presence. And I know people will always complain about that, but I actually think they're doing a pretty good job on the local side too. Yeah, I think they are too. I mean, I've always said, I think in the two to six range is the Colorado kids you should be signing, depending on the depth of the class and what they have two Colorado commits right now. I think there's a third that maybe quietly is. is I was going to say two public, one more that yeah. should come. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they'll, you know, surely probably get one or two others. But California, one, whenever anyone asks about that, look at the numbers. California, again, we know recruiting rankings aren't, you know, deadlock gold. But they're they always have you know three hundred three stars or better. Colorado usually has fifteen. That's where the talent is, and especially you know they're going into some of these schools that a lot of schools aren't in, and they're getting kids. And again, go back to Chad Savage, James Finley. Obviously, Norvell is clearly is a good closer, if you will. But these schools trust Savage. They trust Finley, and these players seem to really connect with them. 
And man, they, they're just cooking in California right now. And yeah, it's, it's a great place to be, you know, especially, you know, CSU is hoping in the PAC 12 probably is the best bet for uh power five. So that doesn't hurt either, but California is a place to live. Yeah. Get your Texas, you know, as you can. And they have, you know, they'll do that. I get some smattering of random others, you know, up in the Northwest, Southwest, obviously Colorado. But if you live in California, that that's a good recipe. We'll get right back to that interview with Kevin Lytle. When you get hurt, though, Backus and Shanker is here to help. Backus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. Backus and Shanker are free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. And, of course, no fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Backus and Shanker has already won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Backus and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accident, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Backus and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Backus and Shanker wins. Finally, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product, and it's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection, so every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked, wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they're going to have your back long after you purchase. You can check out the entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall, full stop shop for all things Shady Rays, or just go to the website. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free. Again, no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Well, speaking of California, there's been a lot of drama, obviously, with the Mountain West, the future of the conference, San Diego State, this whole thing. I mean, I'm sure you've been asked about it a million times. I have two. I guess the thing that surprised me a little bit I, I'm slightly surprised that they're at least publicly kind of playing hardball with the Aztecs here. Are, are you surprised at all with this approach and kind of where do you expect this to go? Yeah, a little bit. The reason I'm not is because I still think, I think most people think San Diego State is still going to leave pretty soon. They just need that TV deal in the Pac-12 to get done. So if you thought you could get San Diego State to stay, you know, long, long term, you might have a different approach. But I don't think anyone thinks that. So kind of why not play hardball? Like, you know, you're going to get divorced anyway. You know, what? you don't need to play nice for the extra year, you know, as you're going through the paperwork. Um, so we'll see, like I said, you know, where it's going to go. I still think San Diego State is gone. One way, you know, it's more just when, you know, will they still just play out this school year? and find a way to either pay the buyout or negotiate something or what will they now have to do two years, um, two more years at Mountain West. I think that's probably the most likely. Uh, that's what solution. it feels like, especially with them now claiming, no, we didn't actually leave. Yeah. That that's 
if I had to, you know, best guess, best odds, that's probably where I'd put it is San Diego State has two more, you know, school years in the Mountain West and then is in the pack, whatever we're going to call it by then. Um, that's my best guess. I still think they're going. Nothing has changed in that, you know, they still have the great basketball program. They still have the new football stadium and a pretty solid football team, a growing sports community. I mean, San Diego State is kind of a hotbed right now. You know, they have the women's soccer team that draws huge crowds. You know, the Padres obviously hasn't quite paid off, but it's cooking right now. They're investing. Um, they're, they're getting yeah. an MLS team. Like it's it's a growing sports community. And yeah, it doesn't replace USC and UCLA, but still a pretty strong toehold. Um, in Southern California, if you're the Pac-12. So I still think that's going to happen. Just no one anticipated the Pac-12 taking 29 years to get a TV deal. Well, and I wonder if, and, and this is just pure speculation, but I wonder also if San Diego State is trying to sell itself moving forward on just like, not only are there no more Pac-12 Southern California brands, but the Chargers left San Diego. Like we could be the football brand for yeah. all of Southern California. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, they, they should be doing that. If they're not, um, that seems logical to me. Send and us again, a check, that, San Diego State. Yeah, exactly. We'll take uh, you know some referral money there. Um, but yeah, I, I think everything still lines up for them to end up there. It just has been slower than anyone anticipated. But it's going to be really fascinating. Um, I believe the Mountain West directors, so basically the, the non-San Diego State presidents since they've been kicked out, um, meet, I believe, next week. Obviously, we have media days right after that. Um, Gloria, I'm sure we'll we'll talk there, and it'll be very fascinating to see what's coming out over the next week or so. Of you know, did they kumbaya and shake hands and come to an agreement, or is the Mountain West still saying, "Nope, it's our money"? I'm trying to think of which coach would be the most likely to say something dumb. It, it would have been Steve if he was still in town. But uh, he, he didn't. He didn't go to media days. I was going to say he would have had to show up in the first place. Yeah. But not Troy Calhoun. <laughs> he won't say anything. It's a, a good point, question. Man. Is there? Uh, are there any other storylines you're kind of looking forward to? I mean, it, it seems really to. It's all about realignment. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> every year. It seems like that's the main thing. Um, I will be interested to see what coaches say and, you know, how close to the best they play it or, or if they really talk about, you know, uh, you know, the discussions they internally have about, about alignment and San Diego State and all of this stuff. Um, it'll be interesting. The weird spot. Otherwise, I, I, you know, football wise, this is the first year without divisions. Um, and that's going to be interesting. And, um, I would think coaches would like it, but I don't know. Coaches surprise me with their takes sometimes. But overall, I would think they like the idea of like, yeah, if you're top two, you go. It doesn't matter like what region you're in. So, so I will be you know, football wise kind of intrigued just to hear what people think about you know kind of the new not alignment, but you know way they're structuring standings and stuff. Yeah, I, I think the general tone last year was that most coaches were embracing it just because, in theory, it gives you the the best opportunity to get a team in the college football playoff, have the yeah. best two teams play. Yeah, in theory, it's that, and you literally control your own destiny. Whereas, you know, sometimes if depending on how divisional stuff can fall, you kind of lose control of that. So, if you're good, you can get your way there. So, I would think everyone will like it, but um, we'll see. Who knows? Coaches are weird. 
right, you don't have to go too in-depth on this because I know you're going to do tons of preview content before the season, but just I want to gauge your temperature going into the fall. Um, optimistic, cautiously optimistic. Uh, I need to believe it when I see it. Like, where are you at with this program? A combo of cautious optimism, but also believe it when I see it. You know, that just comes from years of lack of success at CSU where they, you know, one way or another find ways to not be good in football. Uh, but cautious optimism, I like the roster. Um, kind of, you know, beating the same tone over and over, but I need to see that O-line. But otherwise, I like the roster. Um, I think the D should be somewhere between good and very good. The offense obviously will be better, you know, no matter almost no matter what. It's, it's almost impossible not to yeah. be. Um O-line again in spring. I think we liked what we saw, but we know it's spring. So, you know, with that, I need to you know see that. But overall, I do like this roster. I think there's a chance this team can be, you know, pretty solid. I love it. Thanks for giving me some of your time, man. Hope you're enjoying summer and I'm I'm looking forward to hanging out at Media Days with you. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Crazy, probably never make it when well, you listening to that right now. I said we on now.